You know, it seems as if uh, from the, the time you actually begin thinking and you're conscious of your own consciousness, you start asking the question, what is this all about? What is the meaning of life? And we've got the, all the movies out and all the lines out, looking for the fountain of youth and looking for the secret uh, of immortality. And just what, is, what are we down here for? Well, there was a, a gentleman, aged guy, and somebody asked him, you seem to be happy and you lived a long life. You know, what is the secret? And the guy said, well, the secret for me, as I learned this way back, I said, is a teaspoon of gunpowder on my cornflakes every morning. So I've been doing this for 65 years. You know, it must have worked for this guy because he died when he was 98 years old and everything was happy. So his obituary read, uh, survived by one wife, two children, and a massive crevice where the crematorium used to be. <laughs> so people try all kinds of goofy things to, to what is life about and how can we make sense of this and how can we make it work. One day Jesus came to some folk who thought they had it figured out and he looked at them and he said, I am the purpose of life. And suddenly these folk had a big decision to make because they're staring at Jesus, they're listening to what he's saying, they're understanding it, but they're doing all these other things and they have to determine, do I buy that or not? You know, that really is the, the, the purpose of this series. That really is the, the crossroads we all need to come to. We need to understand what he said He's not just a gentle, meek, mild, quiet, gentle, sweet, uh, self-effacing. And really focus, what has he said? And say, do I buy this or not? Uh, that he doesn't leave any other options. Now, he wants us to know his identity, very much so. He doesn't leave this up to us. Seven different times in the book of John, he has said, I am, and then whatever. He's thrown a different predicate each time. Each time to give us a little bit of a, a different twist, a different nuance of who he is. Uh, he's made it very clear, and so we are employing a memory technique in order to remember these seven I am's. And if, in fact, you come, for the, you don't even have to. You, can, you don't have to be awake through the whole time. You can sleep through most of it. But if you give me at least the first ten minutes, I promise you, at the end of seven weeks, you will remember all the seven I am's. You'll know where they are. You'll be able to tell us the location and what it stands for. And so, what I want you to do right now is close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. Now work with me, close your eyes, and I want you to picture, will you, this, these six massive loaves of bread. Now, these are huge loaves of bread. They're arranged like a pyramid. You've got three on the bottom. Do you see it? One, two, three. Then two in the middle, and then one on top. This is not just normal bread, though. This is 35-day-old bread. I mean, this stuff is stale as who knows what. And so it's got a massive 35 stamped into the end of each loaf of bread, stamped into the three on the bottom, 35, 35, 35, stamped into the two in the middle, 35, 35, stamped into the one on top, 35. And John 6, 35, Jesus says what? It's the bread of life. And coming right out of the top of that loaf of bread, you've got a, a lamp pole. Now, at the top of the lamp pole is a stop sign looking thing. Now, it's all spray painted gray, so you can't read stop. But what you do see is that each corner of the stop sign is a light bulb screwed in. And if you figure all the corners of the stop sign, you've got two on the top, two on the right, two on the bottom, two on the left. There's eight bulbs total. See them? Two in the top, two in the right, two in the bottom, two in the left. Total eight light bulbs. These are not normal light bulbs. These are 12 waters. 12 Now, it doesn't sound like a lot of light, but together, and with the reflection from the stop sign thing, it's very bright. It's 12 watt light bulbs. I don't know the last time you were able to buy a 12 water, but 12 watt light bulbs. There are eight of them. There are 12 watts. John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the what? Light of the world. 
yes, yes, yes. Keep your eyes closed because right on top of the lamp pole is a door. And this is a massive door. This is a, this is a Goliath-sized door. This is 10-foot-tall door, wooden, oak, heavy, 10-foot-tall. This is a big door. You can, you can get Goliath walking through there. He won't have to duck down. It's a 10-foot-tall door. But this is a strange door you've noticed because there are nine doorknobs on this door, three across the top. Three across the middle and three across the bottom. And any doorknob will work. Anyone will open the door. There are, there are nine doorknobs. See them? Three across the top. Three across the middle. Three across the bottom. John 10, 9. Jesus says, I am the door. Okay, you can open your eyes. I am the door of all the goofy things. When I first came across this, this analogy, metaphor, I thought, oh, you know, maybe it was just shy for good copy. And, you know, you got to have some boring stuff. There. I am the door. What is that about? So I started thinking about it. I've had some uh, doors in my life, interesting doors. Uh, first door that I can remember, 6348 South Lamont in Chicago, door to our home. Uh, my neighborhood wasn't really bad. It wasn't a really bad neighborhood. We had some minor league gangs in the neighborhood. And there was, some, you know, tacky, I want to say, what kind of thinking? Not high-scale crime, okay, not whitey bulger type crime, but there's uh, uh, just, just uh, some vandalism type stuff that I, that I, wasn't, not, I wasn't involved with. There other things people were involved with. There's just some just stuff happening. So much so that when you walked in my neighborhood, you just needed to watch your back. You just, you just learned that that's what life was. You just didn't go out very much at night. You just, but when you walk through that door, when I walk through that door, you know what? It was like, I'm home. I'm safe. I didn't have a completely perfect family, but I knew I was safe there. Next door I got in my mind is 14760 South Major. We moved out to the Burbs when I was a little kid. We lived, I lived there for the rest of my time until I went to college. Uh, but our front door, big brown door, and it's a big orange gargoyle looking thing on there. My dad was into this, this brown and orange look. And, and, uh, that was the door that I threw Timmy out when he was streaking through my home naked. I threw him out. That was, that was the door that I was caught at by my sister's friends when I was standing there in my pink underwear. That's another story. We're not going to get into that. That's the door that I remember. I walked through that door at 2 in the morning, one Saturday morning, after being out with, on a, this was Sunday morning at this point, after being out on a date. And, you know, we had a raised ranch, so you walk in, and then you had this staircase. Uh, well, it's all dark, but my mom is sitting on the top stair in her nightgown, and it's just quiet, and it's all dark. And I see the, her silhouette, and I kind of close the door, and I just wait. You know, I know enough to not try to get by her, Mr. White. And, and she says, she looks at me, well, I think she's looking at me, but she says, don't ever come in this late after being out with a girl. Don't you ever keep a girl out this late. I don't care if she's okay with it, her parents are okay. Don't you ever keep a girl out this late again. She got one. And I didn't. You know, doors are interesting things. They separate, really, from you know what's outside and what's inside. And the stuff that's outside is uh, not so good. I mean, outside, my, my grades depended on me. If I was going to get the award, you know what? I had to produce. If, in fact, I was going to be in the front of the batting order, I had to do... Well, if I didn't, I was in the back of the batting order. Or I was on the bench. Everything outside was dependent on my ability to produce. My friends, dates, everything was my ability to pull something off, pull something over somebody or, or actually do well. But when I came in, you know what? None of that. I mean, my family knew me better than every... They, could, they knew stuff about me I didn't know, and they told me, and I still deny it to this day, but, but what I knew was that they loved me so much, and every person in this house would die for me. And so when I could finally come in through that door, it was a... 
It was you were home. Now inside, through the door, you're 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 a part of something different, aren't you? I, it's where laughter happens and tears happen and fighting happens and and joy. that's where you celebrate the Christmas stuff and the birthday chair. And you, I remember I was called home uh, one day. Uh, Therese gave me a call. She said, "You better come home. Britt Brit is is dying." I just called the vet, Britt Stein. Britt was our golden retriever. So I, I got home, and Brittany was on our, our living room and a floor, and she was hassling, you know. And Teresa called the vet. The vet said, yeah, this is it. And Teresa told the kids, so the kids were all gathered around her saying goodbye. And they're crying, oh, Britt, remember the time you ate my shoes, Britt? Oh, and they're giving her a hug. And, and so Teresa and I get Britt. Everyone's, after everyone said goodbye, we put her in the car, and we take her to the vet. And on the way, she dies. And uh, give her last time, give her to the vet. And on the way back, Teresa and I are just bawling. We're just bawling. Trying, trying to drive and be stalwart. Just, just pouring. Got home, went through the door, and there were my kids. And we just hugged and cried and held each other for quite some time. But stuff happens on the inside of that door that you're never going to find outside. You're never going to find something. You know, when you think of a door like that, you go... What a better analogy could there possibly be for Jesus to say, I am the door. It's not just any door. If you've got your Bibles, look to John 10.9, right? Ten foot door, nine doorknobs. John 10.9. Actually, John 10. We're going to start in verse 7. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 7. It says, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Not that he was lying before, but he just really wants to drive this into these guys. I tell you the truth. I am the gate or the door for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. I'm the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Now, Jesus is a door to a sheep pen. Now, this is something very, very... We don't have a clue what this is about unless you grew up as a sheep farmer, right? But these guys all did. It's the wild thing. This goes all the way back. I mean, Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. This is what they did. I I remember going to see my grandma... Uh, my mom's mom, way back when, she died when I was real little yet, but I still remember she had one cow, and they milked it every, every she was way out in Tennessee, but they, one cow, they milked this thing every single, sun, every, single, every single day, they gave them their butter and their milk, they had a bunch of chickens, the chickens were uh, for their eggs, or if they didn't lay, they, they fried, you know what I mean, they were just, it was their food, everybody, when they lived out like that, they were all shepherds, all of these guys, you know, they were all shepherds, they all were. And a great picture that Israel had of their relationship with God was as a, uh, God was the shepherd and they were the sheep. You've got Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, right? You've got Psalm 100, verse 3, uh, know that, that God is the Lord, it is he who made us and we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. They had this, this great endearing picture of themselves as the flock, God's flock, and God was their shepherd. They, they had this understanding. They had this, this picture. And so Jesus comes to these folk who have this picture and this understanding, and he says, I know you think you know how to get into the flock. And they said, yes, we know. See, if you have Jewish blood, pure Jewish blood, Samaritans weren't allowed, you had pure Jewish blood, and if you just nodded towards the law, you were okay with the law, you were in. 
You were part of the flock. It was as easy as that. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 hang on a second. You think you're getting in by Moses, but see, you're not. You're getting in by me. I am the door. If you want to be part of the flock, it's not what's running through your veins. You have to come through me. Now, this is for these rabbi folk, these Pharisees. This was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, let me think about this. Now, this, this sheep pens, to our understanding, there were a couple different sheep pens that they used. First of all, there was a more of a communal one. You know, all the, all the folk who lived in a village, they would take their flocks out during the day. And then at night, they all came back and took to protect the sheep because this was their life. This was not just their livelihood. This is how they, I mean, this isn't just how they made money. This is how they, they stayed alive. They would put them in a, a communal pen. It was a stone pen with a literal door. And they'd put them all together, put them all in there. They would close the door. They would hire this guy to guard the door. And then the next morning, the, the shepherd would come, show his ID, whatever he would do. And the guy would say, okay, go. He'd open the door and he would look in at all these sheep and he would call them. Because the sheep would recognize the voice of their shepherd. And when he called them, they knew it was time to eat. And so they came. Not all the sheep, because the sheep are, were afraid of the stranger. But the sheep who recognized their voice, they would come and he would take them out. Now, Western shepherding, a little bit different. We drive the sheep, we use dogs, and we push the sheep. But Mideastern shepherds, they led the sheep out. And so he would call the sheep by name and he would lead them out. Uh, one form of sheep pen. There's a second sheep pen, though, and that is during different seasons, these guys would lead their sheep out. And if you know sheep, they eat all the way to the ground. They, they destroy the, the grass. You have to constantly be moving. So these guys would take them out for weeks, months at a time. And if they found the right place, they would build out in the, uh, the well, uh, on the, we won't say the wilderness, but on, the, on the, the hills someplace, they would build their own little sheep pen, stones. And they would have the sheep out. And then at nighttime, they'd bring them, they'd put them in there, and they'd put, they'd put briars off and on top just to make sure the, the, the wolves would think twice before they decided to come through after the sheep. And they'd put the sheep in. But there was no real door, so the shepherd himself would actually sleep in that doorway. He was literally the door. It's probably the picture that Jesus has. And it's real important because what he's saying to these Pharisee guys is, I think, I know you think you know how you, to get in, but, but you're mistaken. See, I am the door. There's no back door. There's no other way in. See, I am the door. I am the only way to have a relationship with God, to be in a communal uh, family with God as, as the shepherd. I'm it. I'm the only way. There's no other way. Now, thinking through to us today, how do we try to get into the flock? And this is, this is scary for church people. I mean, the people Jesus is talking to here, the Pharisees, they're, 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 they've got the right religion. They've got the right God in the right Bible. But they're just missing it with Jesus. And the church people can miss it with, with Jesus sometimes. And one of the ways, I was reading a message by uh, Spurgeon this past week, wonderful message, but he's talking about this. And he says, one of the ways we try to get in the flock today is through Baptism. He says, Spurgeon says, millions of people have been sprinkled and millions of people have been immersed. And through that, they've been proclaimed, Christian, you're in. And they believe this. And, and uh, Spurgeon would go on to say this about these guys. He'd say that, uh, let me tell you that unless they came to Christ by true faith, they are nothing better than baptized pagans. You gotta love Spurgeon. He just puts it right out there, doesn't he? They are still just sprinkled heathen. Why, you might hold a man in an everlasting shower, but you could not thereby make him a member of Christ. 
Or you might drag him through the Atlantic Ocean and if he survived the immersion, yet he still would not be one jot the better. Uh, We sometimes have been taught in the church that it's baptism that is the door, but Jesus does not say this here. He doesn't say baptism is the door. He says, no, 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 I am the door. And if we're counting on, because I was, we just got to look at the words of Jesus. He doesn't say that. See, this is the problem with, with church people, is there's lots of things in the church that are good things, but they're close to the door. And so we latch on to them, thinking that they are the door, but they're not. And if you're counting on or planning on well, my baptism, no, Jesus doesn't say baptism's the door. He says, I am the door. And now, another thing that we might use, perhaps, is our parents. I don't know if you've, you've heard this so much. Uh, I, I have. It's my heritage. It's my, I grew up in a Christian home. Are you a Christian? Certainly. I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad were Christians, and they taught us the Bible, and we had family devotions, and I understand, and I know the, the Bible very well, and Jesus would say, that's wonderful. I'm glad you got a Christian family, and I'm glad you got Christian parents, but your parents are not the door. I'm the door. And I'm glad you understand the Bible. That's a winner. That's a great thing. But the Bible is not the door. There's going to be a lot of people who know the Bible very well who aren't in. I'm the door. Sometimes we think church membership and church service is, is the door. And I, I tell you, I'm, I'm all for the church. Please don't, don't decide to hear this and decide, oh, I'm not coming anymore. No, no, I'm all for the church. It's a good thing. And we should certainly be, be doing everything we can, sacrificing and serving and pushing back the gates of hell. We should be doing this. No, no question about it. But involvement in the church is not the door. A really interesting passage. In Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that one day people are going to come to him and he's going to say, yep, you're not in. And they're going to go, whoa, 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 hang on hand. I did this and I did that and I did the other thing. And they'll be talking all these, all these church things that they did. And Jesus is going to say, well, that's wonderful, that's good. But see, that's not the door. I'm the door. That's what he means when he says, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't pass through the door. Um, Spurgeon would go on in his, his uh, uh, article to talk about how sometimes in Christendom, and this one gets a little bit dicey even with us, uh, we use the profession of faith as the door. In other words, we have faith in our faith. And... and, and knowing that standing up and raising your hand and coming forward and saying the prayer that's not sometimes you talk to people tell me about your your experience coming to know Christ your spiritual journey and they're saying well I came forward I read this or I signed that card and again Jesus might say well those are okay things but please don't think that that's the door I'm the door Spurgeon would say this about uh, those kind of professions he would say the mere saying yes yes I'm willing to profess this I'm willing to say that no more makes you a Christian than it would make cotton silk to call it so, or make mud to be gold by labeling it with that title. Beware of a false profession, for it is doubly hazardous. The man who has no grace is in danger, but the man who makes a profession of having it when he has none is in double danger. For he is the least likely to be awakened, and he is certain, unless sovereign grace prevents, to make his profession a pillow for his wicked and slumbering head till he sleeps himself into hell. Don't you love Spurgeon? He just puts it right out there. If we're putting our faith in our faith, do I have enough faith? We're looking at the wrong thing. It's not our profession. Jesus said, I'm the door. Not your ability is the door. No, no, I'm the door. Now here's for us. Maybe you grew up in the church. 
And you, you looked at the door. You love the door. You, you, you admire the door. You respect the door. You sing songs about how wonderful the door is. But let me ask you, have you ever walked through it? Just going to the study, learning more things about the door, that's great. But have you ever walked through it? Uh, that's, the, that's the question. Huge. Huge question. Now, when, when Jesus talks about, uh, it's something to keep in mind, what he equates being in the flock with. Did you notice this? He equates it with, verse 10, the abundant life. Now, sometimes we think that being in Jesus' flock, well, what that means is, you know, it's kind of a religious person and they've got, you know, maybe the world would say there's some psychological issue they're running from and whatever else. But Jesus equates being in the flock with abundant life. I mean, life, complete potential fulfilled life. Life to the max, maximum life. He says, that's what it means to be in my flock. And a lot of folk are looking, of course, for the abundant life. But they're looking in the wrong places. Now, Jesus, again, is talking to, to religious people here. And he knows that these folk are, are realized that the abundant life can be found only in relationship with God. But they're looking in the wrong place to get that. And so Jesus defines what this abundant life is. He says, I'm the door. He says, if you come through me, you will be saved. First thing he mentions about this abundant life is it equals salvation. Now, salvation, think about it. If you grew up in the church so long, sometimes there's lots of baggage around that word and you struggle with it a little bit. Put it out for a minute. Because most of the world wants salvation. They do. But what they want is this abundant life and they think that that which is blocking them from getting it is their limitations. And if I have salvation from my limitations, see, I'll get it. If I have salvation from my problems, I'll get it. If I have salvation from the injustices that have happened to me, I'll get it. If I have salvation from my confusion, I'll get it. If I have salvation from my own inability to to handle these issues in my life, then I'll get it. They're looking for salvation and to an extent, they're, they're right. But they just don't go far enough back. They, they, it's not just these issues. You've got to go back to the root cause of these issues. When I was uh, at, at Moody, my floor once in a while we would do pranks on people. Now, I didn't, of course, I'd never recommend anybody do this. Kids, if you do this at home, please, I, I, I'll deny it if you say you learned it from me. So don't, don't. Of course, your parents are here, so I don't know what I do with that one. But one of the things we would do is we would vacuum another person's room. That's what we call it. We're going to vacuum their room. Well, I didn't like Bucky. Actually, I kind of liked Bucky, but we were with each other like this. And so I decided to vacuum his room one night. So when he was out of his room, I took our Hoover that we had on the floor, external bag, and I, I turned it on and I duct taped it on. Shh, a whole roll of duct tape. I mean, this thing was on. Then I uh, slid it underneath his bed when he wasn't in the room and I slid the top off of the bag. You know, so that I took that off. Then, then, you know, we had about this big of a gap between the door and the carpet. And so I tied some fishing line to the cord Put the cord underneath his bed, but put the fishing line right out. Then when Bucky came in that night and went to sleep, it was probably two in the morning, I got up there, I, I pennied him in. I mean, if you've ever, don't do this at home, you'll bust your door. But it wasn't my door, so it was cool. It was at the school. I pushed the bottom in and put pennies between the bottom of the door and the door frame. And then you do the same thing at the top, and it makes so much pressure that the person from the inside can't get out. Okay? So Bucky's sleeping. I got the door pennied in. Then I start pulling the cord. Take the cord. Go to the plug-in. <laughs> plug it in. And, and, and of course, it starts throwing dust all over the room. 
And when you're trying to, you're sleeping, you go, what is going on? You're going underneath the bed and dust is in your face and you're trying to turn it off and some bozo you know, tape this thing on and you can't get out to unplug it because you pennied him in and then you call him and you say, Bucky, listen, man, can you please vacuum in the morning? I'm trying to sleep here, buddy. It was a wonderful thing, but you, you need to know if you do that, the other guy does not, doesn't think it's funny at all. But what, dust is everywhere. I mean, it's on your hair. It's in the air. You can taste it. It's on all of your clothes. It makes a horrific mess. Now, here's the deal. With sin, we live in this world of sin. We don't even think twice about it, other than the real mean ones. We don't think twice about it because we taste it. It's on our hair. It's on our clothes. It's everywhere. And Jesus is saying, you want to be part of my my sheepfold the issue the reason why you're not in isn't because you don't do enough good things it's not because you're not sincere because probably we're sincere at times it's not because you don't care for people because everybody cares for for people of one one degree or the other it's not because you're just a horrific person because most folk probably are not so they do love and care and are sweet but it's because they are covered internally with this sin and you can't just stop it and you don't do enough good things to get rid of it the only reason, this is why Jesus says, I have to be the door because only when you pass through me, my death on the cross in your stead, and if we could go down the rest of this chapter, he's going to go on to say that the good shepherd's going to lay down his life. He talks about how he's going to pay for their, their sin. And only through that can you enter into the sheepfold. That's the issue. And if you clean that up, only through me, it's the only way you get in, then he goes on to say what's next. Another advantage here, he says, or what the uh, abundant life is. He says they'll go in and out and find pasture. Today, I think we're closing, the United States is closing 22 embassies and consulates across, uh, especially the Mideast, North Africa. Security alert is high that there will be attacks. I don't know if there will be at this point, but attacks on U.S. interests, emb- embassies, Americans who are in these hot spots. Now, think for a second. Let's just say you were living today in uh, Sana'a, which is the capital of Yemen, which is supposed to be the highest risk place. You, as an American, U.S. citizen, are living there. Do you think around dusk it might be a good idea to go out and go for a walk around the block three or four times? Probably wouldn't be a good idea. Probably, yes, that's what I would be thinking if someone tried to make me go for that walk and that right entire day. It's like, no way, this is not going to be good. Uh, if, in fact, you were living in a bad, bad neighborhood, often the bad neighborhoods in the daytime, they're okay, but at night, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. You don't go outside. You, you don't go out. When Jesus talks about staying in and going out, what he's talking about is he's talking about a freedom. He's talking about a constant uh, being with him. See, the, the, the sheep did not just decide, well, I'm going to go out, I'm going to come in, I'm going to go out. No, no, no. Whenever they went out, they went out with the shepherd. Whenever they came back, it's the shepherd who brought them back. That their identity now is completely changed. If, you were to, if we were to follow it, Jesus is, Numbers 27, verses 15 through 18, I believe Jesus has got that in mind when he's talking about this passage. And right there, it talks about one day giving a new shepherd, in this case it was going to be Joshua, which just happens to mean Jesus, by the way, um, 
so that the people wouldn't be like sheep without a shepherd. When they're out there, they don't have the shepherd. But once you're in the fold, you're constantly with the shepherd. So going in and out is Jesus saying, I will never leave you or forsake you ever. Your identity is shifted. Always you are with me. So when you sit down and do your bills, you know what? It's with the shepherd. When you go to work, it's with the shepherd. Not just when you come to church. Although when you come to church, leaning into the shepherd, which is not something that all of us always do. It's constantly with the shepherd. Your identity shifts. You know, this is such a hard thing because uh, if you're trying to explain to somebody on the outside what abundant life looks like for those who know Christ, it's just a hard thing to explain, isn't it? It's a hard thing to explain. Because they look at and they go, well, they're not there. like walls. You're in a sheep pen. You know, they're, they're walls. They're just, Christianity's got its limitations. And, and you'd say, well, yeah, it does. But being inside is like being in the garden. And the outside is just desert. And you never, your thirst is never quenched. But here, it, it, it's, it's, it's quenched. It's being in, in the garden. And if you try to walk across it, you really, it's so satisfying, you never really hit the other end. You're not bumping up against the, the boundaries, upset all the time. It's just not that way. And I think that's what Jesus says, means when he says, they're going to go in and out throughout life. You're with me, you're with freedom. And you'll find pasture. saying so you will be satisfied. You will be Fulfilled doesn't mean you're going to get all the stuff you want, but suddenly that stuff doesn't hold you anymore. You hold it. Suddenly the longing for different things to try to satisfy, that's gone because it's been satisfied in him alone. And there, and Jesus says, ah, that is the abundant life. You're finding what everyone else is looking for in so many different ways. So let me ask you two questions. First question, have you ever entered through the door? Maybe you like the door, you're okay with the door, you're not against the door, but have you ever entered through it? There is a door at the foot of the cross. And you can look at it and think it's sweet and nice and wonderful, but you have to go through. You have to come to a point where you recognize that what Jesus says when he says, I am the door, that's right, there's only one way in, it's through him. It's not through me, it's not through my good stuff, it's not through my baptism, it's not through my church membership, it's through him alone. And when he died on the cross in my stead, it's when I walk through the cross, when I walk through that door, all of that internal vacuum cleaner, it's washed. All that sin is gone. It's washed away. If you walk through the door, if you haven't, please, you don't walk out those doors until you make that decision. You can right here in private surrender to God. Thank you, Lord. For dying in my stead. I've tried to get through so many different other ways. I've tried to get over. It's only through you. I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. Second question. If you have, and perhaps you're saying, yeah, yeah, no, I've went through the door. I can tell you. Wonderful. Do you know what your new identity is? Your identity is a doorkeeper. That's who you are. Jesus said, follow me. So you can go to heaven? No, it's not what he says. And I will make you fishers of men. That's your job. Let me read this. To you. Yeah, oh, William Booth, a founder of the Salvation Army, uh, one night he was sleeping in his uh, uh, room, and I think his, his boy was in there with him, and he was tossing and turning, and his son said, Dad, Dad, shouldn't you, you be asleep? And Booth said, No, 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 I can't, I can't sleep, I'm thinking. And his boy said, Well, what are you thinking about, Dad? He says, I'm thinking about their sins. 
what are they going to do with their sins? How will they get rid of their sins? It's only through Jesus and they're trying to go some other way. What will they do with their sins? As a gatekeeper, that's what's supposed to be occupying our mind. It says, I stay near the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stay near the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in it and find him. So I stay near the door. Go in, great saints. Go all the way in. Go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics in a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal of silence of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms. And I know the depths and, and know the depths and heights of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in. Sometimes venture a little farther. But my place seems closer to the opening, so I stay near the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not even found the door. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear Him and know He is there, but not so far from men as not to hear them and remember that they're there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them, but more important to me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch. So I stay close by the door and wait for those who seek it. I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stay near the door.